Hi, my name is Isaac, if you haven't met. Um, I'll be bringing the second reading for tonight, which is Psalm 71. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Rescue me and deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge, to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of evil and cruel men. For you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. I have become like a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. Do not cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. For my enemies speak against me. Those who wait to kill me conspire together. They say, God has forsaken him. Pursue him and seize him. For no one will rescue him. Be not far from me, O God. Come quickly, O my God, to help me. May my accusers perish in shame. May those who want to harm me be covered with scorn and disgrace. But as for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation all day long, though I know not its measure. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, O sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. Since my youth, O God, you have taught me. And to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. Your righteousness reaches to the skies, O God, you who have done great things, who, O God, is like you. Though you have, seen, though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. You will increase my honor and comfort me once again. I will praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praise to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I whom you have redeemed. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long. For those who wanted to harm me have been put to shame and confusion. Well, friends, uh, we had a little revision before again already, uh, but let's do it once again. The first week in this series was faith that perseveres. Good. Last week was love that serves. Good. And today we're looking at hope that motivates. And these three, faith, love, and hope, in the epistles of Paul, they're known as the Pauline triad, faith, love, and hope. You get one, you get them all. You can't get one without the others. And so with these three, we want to be growing in increasing measure. Uh, now, in fact, we... We were hoping, or actually, hope, there's a topic. Um, but uh, when we were having uh, kids years ago, we thought if God were to bless us with three daughters, faith, love, and hope would become their middle names. But God only gave us one daughter, so we finally got a faith. No love, no hope, only boys. <laughs> uh, but we want to be growing in increasing measure in these areas, so let's pray once again, and we'll have a look at this. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that... You give us faith in Christ, that we might respond in love, and that we might have the hope 
of eternal life that you grant us in Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you might make this clearer and clearer as we think about it. And we pray that you might make it grow in us more and more so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I do like to begin with a question. And tonight it is, are you a glass half full or a glass half empty type of person? Are you an optimist or you're a pessimist? Or maybe you're neither. Maybe you're a realist. And that's perhaps because, you know, pessimists, they're those people who are so dull and depressing and they make you depressed. Not fun to be around. You know, the pessimists, let's, let's go to the park, you say to them. And they say, nah, a magpie might swoop me and might eat my eyeballs. No, let's not do that. Or you might say to a pessimist, let's go to the zoo. And they say, nah, a lion might get me. I don't want to do that. Depressing people, right? Or an optimist, maybe we don't want to be like them as well. They're just, they're just the overly confident, too enthusiastic type of people. They're the ones who wear rose-colored glasses. And optimists are those who, um, it's 40 degrees outside, the sun is burning, but they think, I don't need sunscreen, it's okay, I'll be fine, I will not be burnt. But they come back like a tomato. Or an optimist. Uh, might be one of those who have no rhythm in any cell of their body. They can't clap in sync, they can't clap in beat, but they think, I'll get on the dance floor and I'll dance and I'll look good. That's an optimist, but they end up looking hideous. Or, anyway, I thought that was all right, but then... <laughs> or an optimist, optimism for me would be to think that I can grow a beard. That is just optimism. But anyway, optimism, unreasonable, confident, enthusiasm, but unreasonable. And so for you here tonight, where do you think you sit? How do you react in life? Are you the pessimist, the optimist? Where might you be? Now, wherever you might be on that fence, I suspect none of us want to be blind optimists. Do you know how that goes? You know how we speak to each other, Australians say this often, uh, the blind optimist, she'll be right, mate. It'll be okay. It'll turn out fine. Things will be better. But that's really just blind optimism. Because when we say such things, how do you know that it will be okay? How do you know? How do we know that you'll be fine? You actually don't know that. I mean, we hope that things will be better in life in all things. The small decisions, the big decisions, small events, big events. We just hope that it will be okay, it will be fine. But how do you know? Isn't that just blind optimism? And especially in times of difficulties in life, in times of crisis in life, when life is difficult, when there are disappointments, when we experience a broken heart, when there are tragedies in a family, and we hear people say, she'll be right, mate. You'll be fine. Things will turn out okay. Just have hope. I mean, aren't they just cliches and platitudes? Hope in what? It's really quite nonsense. And so this evening, as we think about the topic of hope, is that what Christian hope is like? Clichés, platitudes, wishful thinking, false optimism, blind enthusiasm. Is that what the Christian faith, a Christian hope is like? I mean, when we hope as Christians, we hope in many things as Christians, 
Are we really just fooling ourselves? Or is there in fact something that is real, something that is certain, something that is genuine about the Christian hope, the hope that you and I have? Is it for real? Because if it is for real, we all want a part of it. Well, the psalm we're looking at tonight shows why Christian hope is so vastly different to anything in this world. So different. There is nothing like it. It is not sentimentalism. It is not just being nice and niceness. And it's certainly not cliches and platitudes. There is something that is different, unique and wonderful about the Christian hope. And it is something, in fact, we all deeply, if we think and consider our heart of hearts, we all want hope in our heart of hearts. We deeply want it. We long for it. We strive for it. We need it. And we can, in fact, have it. And so let's have a look at this psalm. Do keep your Bibles open to Psalm 71. Right from the very beginning of this psalm, we see it. It is very clear and plainly clear. The central, primary, ultimate reason why Christian hope is so vastly different to anything else in this world is because it is not just hope in anything. I mean, it is not hope in the stuff of this world. It is not hope in my successes. It's not hope in my achievements. Like that is going to give me some sense of ultimate peace and security. Of course it won't. And it's certainly not hope in my finances or my super or my nest egg. That's not going to secure my eternity, however much I have. It does not secure my eternity. We know in the scriptures we've come naked, we will leave naked. It is not hope in the stuff of this world because we all know that it is all fleeting and will soon pass away. In ancient Egypt, the pharaohs, you know what happened when they were buried, when they were put in the pyramids? They were buried with tons of treasure, gold and silver and weapons and even boats. What happened to all that treasure? Did it secure them in eternity? Well, really what happened was that they stayed in the tombs. When the body was rotting away there, or it just got stolen. You see, it's not hope in the stuff of this world. That gives us no hope. Nor is it hope in any person or any institution. It's not hope in our governments. People put so much hope in their government. You know, the new prime minister, he'll fix things. The new president, he'll sort things out. They put so much, we put so much hope in people, but we know governments will become corrupt, governments will fail, and even people fail us. Our loved ones fail us, they'll disappoint us, and even those who love us might even betray us. Our hope is not in institutions, it is not in people, anyone, it is not in stuff. But the Christian hope is a hope that is in God alone. And that is what we see at the beginning of this psalm. It is a hope in who God is. We see from what God has promised. We see from what God has done. And there is hope in God. We can place our hope in God. In fact, God has designed us human beings. God being creator designed us inside to have a hope in him. God has placed a sense of eternity in all human beings and that's why there's a natural longing there must be more to this world there must be more to this life there must be more to 70 80 90 years of life on earth 
there's this sense of eternity in us, placed there by God, and we find the fulfilment of that eternal longing in God alone. And so what that means is that if our hope is in God alone and in God alone, it means that without God in the picture, there is no hope. Wish for all you want. There is no hope if there is no God. Desire all you want. There is no hope. It is really just wishful thinking and blind optimism. No God, no hope. And if you think about it, it makes sense. It really does make sense. If you believe that there is no God, it really leaves the only, only reasonable explanation that you are just a mere accident. And if you're just a mere accident, you, you, accidents happen, and they continue to happen, and they'll always happen. And so to hope as an accidental being means that you're just deluding yourself. There is no hope if there is no God. And so this psalmist knows this clearly. There is real, genuine hope only in God. And so let's have a look. Verse 1. Here we see his hope and security is in God as his refuge. God as his refuge. Verse 1. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. And then verse 3. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Now, do you notice what this psalmist did? It meant that throughout his life, whatever experiences, whatever struggles he was going through, whatever dangers he was in, whatever heartbreak he was feeling or experiencing, where can he go each and every time? Who can you cling to? Well, I can always go to God, my rock and my refuge. He is my hope. Now, of course, this psalmist here is speaking of dangers from enemies. A real danger for King David who wrote this psalm. People wanted him dead. So many people wanted him dead. Even his very own son wanted him dead. Now, King David, we know, was a great king, a powerful king, a powerful warrior and commander. You would expect King David, maybe I'll put hope in my, my strength, my skills as a warrior. Or maybe I can put hope in my armies, my vast armies. They'll defeat the enemies. But what did David do? Where did David turn instead? Not to his armies, not to his own strength, but to my rock of refuge, to God. Now for us today, in 2018, we might not experience dangers like King David, life-threatening dangers. But the reality is that we're in a place where we are blessed in this way. We don't experience it, and maybe not yet anyway, but Christians do. Christians still do experience such dangers all around the world, in different parts of the world. Christians who will not bow their knees to anyone else apart from Jesus Christ, they will not bow their knee, and so they are killed for their faith. Christians still face this type of danger. In fact, it's estimated that last year, 90,000 Christians were martyred for their faith, for not believing another God, for not bowing down to another God. 90,000. That's one death every six minutes last year. I mean, that is shocking, isn't it? There have been more Christians martyred in the last 50 years 
than the first 300 years of Christianity's experience, uh, existence. Staggering numbers. And so where do you go when you face such dangers? Where should we go? Well, the only place where there is hope, the only one we can hope in, in God as refuge. And though many Christians would have lost their lives and have, their hope, you see, goes on beyond the grave. Their hope lasts beyond the grave. Their hope extends into eternity because there is life, resurrection life from God. And so this psalmist, what does he do next? Well, he knew this deeply, he feels it genuinely, he expresses it confidently, and he even now praises joyfully. He knows that God is the highest power there is. Of course you're going to place your hope in God. There's no one more powerful than him. And he knows that God is faithful to what he says. And so, of course, he can place his faith and hope in God. And so verse 5, have a look. Verse 5 and verse 6. For you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. And in verse 6, from birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. Now, reflect on that last verse there, verse 6. I wonder how, how many of you have noticed how counterintuitive that was of the psalmist to do that. I mean, if I'm suffering, and if, even if I'm sick, uh, let alone be in, feel in danger, natural inclination is to be introverted, self-focused, look at me, care for me, I want everyone to be worrying about me. But what did this psalmist do? Well, instead, because God is my hope and refuge, he finds comfort and peace and security in God, he would even praise God in the thick of difficulties. Isn't that counterintuitive? And so we read on verse 7 and 8, I have become like a portent, which is like a sign or a warning to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. Now, I wonder whether you've noticed that even amongst us, there are brothers and sisters amongst us who have experienced and are experiencing difficult life circumstances, but yet can rejoice like this psalmist. You see, as we do life together as a church family, as we share, get to know each other deeply, as we share each other's joys and, and celebrate together, but also share each other's burdens, then we actually find out that there are, there are many amongst us who are suffering. Suffering, but yet somehow able to do what is counterintuitive, and that is to praise God at the same time. Now, I've been finding, even just over the last couple of weeks, profoundly encouraging to hear stories of brothers and sisters amongst us going through real difficult times in life, really difficult times, but yet still have this unwavering hope that God is still working his good purposes. There's a particular brother in our church, difficult time in the household, very difficult. I can't imagine the difficulties for everyone involved. Illness, that's what's not expected. But yet he would say, hopefully through this illness, it will bring my family to have faith in the God I have hope in. Even though through the thickness and the darkness of life, this brother still praises God with his lips. 
And why? Well, he's doing what this psalmist is doing here. Because we can turn to God as refuge. Now we move on. For our hope is in God. And our hope is in God not only because we can turn to him as our refuge, but we also see in the following verses, he comes to us as rescuer. And so the psalmist can hope because he knows that this is a God who will never depart from him, who will never leave him, who will never forsake him. And if you think about it, that is what we all want. None of us wants to live a life where we feel deserted or forsaken, especially by God, especially during the hopeless times of our lives, during the darkest pits of our lives, especially during even the last moments of our life on earth. In fact, this is a deep longing and desire of all human beings. Dame Cicely Saunders, a lady who started the modern hospice movement, she said three things of those who are dying, three long, deep desires that they want. The first is this, do not leave me. That's their first desire. I don't want to die alone. The second desire of the dying is talk to me. I want to know that you're there. The third desire is to hold me. I want to feel that you're there. But you see, for those in life, we might not feel it now. But our deep longings as humans is that we would not be forsaken, especially by God. And this is a God who says he, he will never forsake his people and will never leave them. And that is what the psalmist pleads as he goes on. Even though his enemies mock him, where is your God? He knows God and he knows that God comes as rescuer. So have a look, verses 9 to 12 now. Do not cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. For my enemies speak against me. Those who wait to kill me conspire together. They say, God has forsaken him. Pursue him and seize him, for no one will rescue him. In verse 12, be not far from me, O God. Come quickly, O my God, to help me. And so in the darkest moments of his life, who else is there to hope in but God alone? You can't hope in people. You can't hope in institutions. You can't hope in stuff but God alone. And so verse 14, But as for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. And so why hope in God? Not only is he our refuge, but also rescuer. God comes to us. And God never will forsake us. And now finally we see here God in this psalm as restorer. Not only does God not forsake us, but he's able to restore us. Such is the power of God. I mean, no one can promise such a thing. Look at verse 19 now. Your righteousness reaches to the skies, O God. You who have done great things. Who, O God, is like you? Who, O oh God, is like you? What's the answer? Well, it's meant to be rhetorical. There is no one like God. And so it will be foolishness to put hope in anyone less than God. And now we hear of the promise. Verse 20. Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter. Now, do you notice those words there? They should be quite confronting. Who made this psalmist see trouble? 
It is God who made him see troubles, many and bitter, which means that all his difficult, dangerous experiences were no accidents in God's eyes. But yet what was promised, we read on, You'll be, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. You will increase my honour and comfort me once again. Now, if anything, if we reflect on those words there, it's a little tiny glimpse of resurrection hope. Even the dead, those rotting away in the ground, decaying away, they can even be raised back to life again by this God. And if God can do such a thing, then I can hope in such a God. And so, now in the end, what does this psalmist end up doing? Well, you, you do the only thing that's appropriate when you come to know this God, when you come to understand the hope that we can have in this God, and the only thing that's appropriate is that you praise him, you worship him, you declare his praises to the world with great joy any way you can. And that's what he did. Verse 22, I will praise you with the harp of your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praise to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I whom you have redeemed. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long, for those who wanted to harm me have been put to shame and confusion. It's a wonderful psalm, isn't it, as we get to reflect on the hope of this psalmist. But now let me ask you, do you think this psalmist was a, a man who was a glass half full or a glass half empty type of person? What do you think? Even in his experiences, despite his experiences, he had such hope and even rejoiced. Of any, anything, I, I think he's a, a glass completely full type of person. If my hope is in God then I'm standing on solid ground all the time. He's my refuge, he's my rescuer, and he's my restorer. Now, if that was the experience of this psalmist, it is worth us asking now, what about us? Is that our experience in life? Is that what we feel? Is that how we feel and how we think? What about us? How can we have what he had? that wonderful, unwavering, confident hope in God? Well, the answer is, whatever hope in life this psalmist experience, we can share in that same hope today because it is hope in the same God. In fact, for us who are Christians, who understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, for us to understand what Jesus did, we have all the more reason to hope in God. God not only promised, he has fulfilled his promises in sending his son Jesus Christ. All the promises are yes and amen in Christ. You see, what we know now is more than what the psalmist knew. And so it's all the more reason to hope for us. Now we must remember when we talk about hope, it's not just hoping anything and everything in life. We all have hopes. But it's not hoping anything and everything and calling it Christian hope, and that's okay. You know, I hope that I'll succeed in my area of work. I hope that I'll have a decent and comfortable life. I hope that I'll have a family of my own one day and will live happily ever after. We might have these hopes, and they might be good hopes. But they're not the hopes we're talking about. 
there's no guarantee of that, those hopes. Instead, what I can hope in is that in whatever experience I might experience in life, good days, bad days, good life, bad life, my hope is in God who still remains my refuge, my rescuer and restorer, the one who will never forsake me. You see, it doesn't mean that everything we hope for will come true. It's not what we're seeing here. It doesn't mean here that everything will go our way. But our hope is that everything will go God's way, and it will. In fact, to only hope for the things of this world, we need to rethink this, is really too small of a hope. The hope that God gives us is bigger and greater. You see, for us who are Christians, who understand the gospel, the great hope we have is that for us, there is no more need to fear death. That is a great hope. No more need to fear death because Jesus has already defeated death with his own death. He has conquered the grave. And that is why Christian funerals are always so vastly different, not grieving like those who are hopeless. Death has lost its sting. And that's why even those Christians, so many Christian martyrs, the 90,000, they were willing to die because there is no need to fear death. Hope goes beyond that. And for us who are Christians, there is great hope because there is the great assurance. Our real home is in heaven. Our real home is not here. My home is not Surrey Hills. That's only temporary. My home is heaven itself. And how do we know that? Because Jesus was raised back to life. Death has been defeated. There is new life and he has gone to prepare a place for those who trust him. A wonderful passage often, often shared and read and taught at funerals is John 14. And this was what Jesus said. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. You see, that is the hope that we have as Christians to live with. Even in the face of death, there is no fear because of that hope. And so we can say with the great Billy Graham, he said this, My home is heaven. I'm just traveling through this world. And I wonder if we really take that to heart. Even for Christians, often we live too much for this world. Cling onto the things of this world like this is going to last forever. No, we're only traveling through this world. We're going somewhere, our home, where we really belong, where we ultimately belong, is heaven, not here. And so our hopes should be that, not the little things. Our hopes should be that, and we live our lives accordingly. You see, there's no greater hope than that, a hope so strong that even in the face of death, there is no fear, there is no fear. I hope so powerful that it will continue to pull me, pull us forward like an anchor to our heavenly home. It just pulls us, pulls us to our home. In fact, even scientifically and medically speaking, doctors in their research, uh, they, they can see that it is those with hope who manage best with the ups and downs of life. It is those with hope I know someone very dear to me who, who's gone through about a year of mental illness. 
the psychiatrist asking, do you believe anything? And she said, I'm, I'm a Christian, I do pray, I go to church, I meet with people, but I'm struggling. And the doctor, not a Christian, says, well, that is good. You're holding on to something. There is hope. You see, even doctors recognize that those who have hope manage best with the ups and downs of life. In fact, there was this article, this study that was published by the Flory Institute of Neuroscience and Mental Health. It's the largest brain research group in the Southern Hemisphere. And they've been conducting Australia's largest longitudinal study on monitoring how the human brain ages to see when people develop Alzheimer's disease or dementia. And they were re uh, interested in this research, how older folks keep their brain in tip-top condition. How is it that some older people can still be so sharp in their old age? Whereas how can some people, before they get old, start to lose their mind? How is that? And so this, it, this article is a brilliant one. I, I've asked for permission to use this story because it's about one of our own. Because the stars, one of the stars of this research is in fact our very own Barry Dimelo. He performed better. He's, he's old. I don't know how old, but pretty old. He performed... 89, there you go. Thank you, Rodan. He performed better than 95% of the people his age. He's got a sharp mind. If you've met Barry, Barry, he's got a sharp mind and you do not want to debate him because you'll lose. He'll, he'll get you for it. But anyway, in this research, they asked him, what's underlying your contentment in life? Well, what is it that's underlying the reason for your health in life? And Barry said this, it is hope. And that's because Barry knows what this psalmist knows, what we should know as Christians. You see, the certainty of life beyond the grave means that there is no fear when we do get old. Some people fear getting old. There is no fear getting old and there's no fear of death because it is not the ultimate end. And so where did Barry get all this from? Well, he gets it from Scripture, from God, from passages like these. Hope in God lifts us up. Hope in God pulls us forward to our eternal home. It keeps us going. It motivates. And so if you do believe in Jesus and you do have hope in God as the one who will call you home one day, it makes a world of a difference in how you live each day. But if you don't believe in Jesus as your king and as your saviour, then whatever hope you express for a better life is just wishful thinking. Hope only comes in God through faith in Christ. Now, I was reflecting this week on how, how this might look like in our life, over the span of our life. And I thought of a chart, as engineers do. I thought of a chart. So let's just say this is the span of your life. Over your life, we'll have good days, we'll have bad days. We'll have days that are exceptional, over the moon. Days when, when we feel deeply depressed, disappointed. And so, what's the span of our life look like? Well, let's just say you were born on the first day. Is that a good day or a bad day? Hopefully it's a good day, right? You're born, you're, you're alive. Okay, it's a good day. Now, during your childhood years, you have lots of fun, not, not, 
much worries, in fact, not hardly any worries. You just play, muck around, don't do much chores, complain a lot. So your childhood days are pretty good days as well, right? And then you get to your stage, most of your stage, in fact, later teenagers, early 20s, where you feel the stress and the pressure of study, achieving, being better than your classmate, and it is a stressful time. And I know it is. I've been there, done that. It's okay. It's not too bad. But anyway, it's stressful for you now. And it's perhaps the time when you go on your first date. And it's perhaps the time when you, you, you felt the first rejection. You were rejected by the girl because you smell or something. And so is that a good day or a bad day? It's perhaps pretty bad, right? But let's just say you are a Christian, as many of you claim to be. It's a bad day. Someone caught you smelly and no longer wants to date you, so it's a bad day. If you're a Christian, what will lift me up from that disappointment? What will pull me forward? Well, if my hope is in God, then heaven is my home. That's where I'm going ultimately. doesn't matter if I have a bad day. It will be okay because where will I end up in the end? I'll be with God in the end anyway. And so it becomes a better day. Now, you've finished university, you've been offered a job. Good day, bad day. Some of you, I heard, got job offers. It's perhaps a good day, right? Now, you work and then you decide, not many will, not all will, but some will decide to get married. Is that a good day or bad day, getting married? Depends, right? Depends if you like the person, you better like the person. So let's say it's a good day. Now marriage, it is long. How long? It's for the rest of your life. Now marriage, you might have good days, bad days. It's up and down in your marriage. A moody marriage. Actually, not, not that moody, but a moody, you know, you know what I mean. And so there are ups and downs in life. And then you're later in your age, about in your, I don't know, 40s, 50s. You've worked hard keeping fit and healthy. And then one day you went to the doctor to get your report, to hear of the diagnosis. And you hear that you've got cancer. It's a bad day, a terrible day. How could this happen to me? I don't smoke, I don't drink, I, I've worked hard, I've exercised. How can this happen to me? And those days, that season in fact, are prolonged. Endless visits to the hospital. Endless visits to doctors and specialists. Endless medication, chemotherapy. It's a bad season. But let's just say you are a Christian experiencing this. What's going to keep you motivated? What's going to keep you going? What's going to lift you up? What's going to pull you forward? What's going to help you persevere and endure? In fact, if we reflect on it, for some we see, God may have intentionally given such hopeless experiences to help us see that hope can only be found in God. And so what do we do at these moments? During these moments, we can learn from this psalmist he even rejoiced in difficulties. If my hope is in God, where will I end up in the end anyway? 
Though it is a bad season and it could be for many years. Well, my home is in heaven anyway. And so hope is motivating me. Hope is keeping me going. But now as you live your life, you're, 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 you're a cancer survivor and your fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ, they love you, they care for you, they bring meals, they, they love you so much and you're getting a sense. God is indeed good. God is building my faith. God is helping me to persevere. And so they're good days. And then another tragedy strikes. Your mother, who's been ageing, she's been sick for many years, she passes away. A terrible day, perhaps the worst in your life. There's sorrow now and grief and mourning. A terrible day. But you know, your mother, she's a faithful Christian, loves the Lord Jesus, talks to, her every, talks to him every day. And because she does, because she loves the Lord Jesus, you know in your heart of hearts, she'll be home in heaven with her Lord. And so hope lifts you up again, pulls you forward. But now, nearing the end of your life, you're old and frail, by this time, many of your friends, the good friends that you've grown up with, they've already all passed away. And your last few days on earth might be a good one. You might be conscious. You've, you're, you, you've got your mind. You're still in your right mind. And you're filled with hope. And the day you die, you feel no pain at all. When your heart stops beating, where will you be? You die on a good day. Where will you be? You'll be home with God your Father. But now let's just say your last few days on earth were miserable. Pain's excruciating. You can't bear it. The morphine's not working. And for some, for many years before that, you've suffered dementia. You're not in your right mind. You've lost your mind. You can't really recall. And so your last day on earth is a bad day. Where will you be? when your heart stops beating. You see, if you live your life trusting in Jesus, though you may have lost your mind, if you live your life trusting in Jesus, hoping in God, even though you don't have your mind anymore, you'll still be home with God in heaven. You see, that is what hope looks like. God lifts us up from those bad days. Hope pulls us forward to our heavenly home. And that's really the hope that the great Billy Graham had. And he expressed it so well in these words. He said, The moment we take our last breath on earth, we take our first breath in heaven. Die on a good day, on a bad day, does not matter if you have hope in God because of Christ. Last breath on earth will mean first breath in heaven. And so do you see how this hope in God is, is not wishful thinking. So much of the hoping in our world is just wishful thinking. But this is certain, unwavering, steadfast hope. In fact, if you believe this, what this will mean is that our best life is not now. Your best life is not now. Our best life is not in this world because our best life is yet to come. 
But if we don't believe in Jesus, if my faith is not in Jesus, then my best life is now. Because there is worse still to come. John MacArthur, he puts it this way. He says, This is your best life if your next life is in hell. But on the other hand, if you are a child of God and your sins are forgiven and you've come to embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, this is not even close to your best life. You can't even comprehend what your best life looks like because no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. You see, that is Christian hope. Certain, unwavering, steadfast hope. And so for us, we need to remind each other and remind ourselves, do not hope in anything less than God. Hope in God alone who lifts us up and will bring us home to our heavenly home. That's where we ultimately belong. Let's pray.